What do the big, bad historical breaches only coming to light today tell us about the state of information security that we face in the coming years? Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor for Information Security Media Group. To get more insights into what today's breach revelations portend for the future, I'm speaking with security expert Troy Hunt, who runs the free Have I Been Pwned website. Troy, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Matthew. Thanks for having me. Now, Troy, you coined the phrase historical mega breaches to describe the spate of breaches that we seem to be experiencing even currently that have come to light rather belatedly, such as Yahoo, for example. If you look at all these breaches that are just now coming to light and we fast forward a few more years, do you think we're going to be seeing even worse breaches coming to light? Jeez, we always try and tell the future, don't we? When you think back the last few years, each year we've said, this is the year of the breach, you know, because there's been so many, so many incidents with big results. 2013, Adobe, 152 million records, which was, so it must be the year of the breach. And then we see that top the next year. Obviously, this is unprecedented, what we've seen this year, thinking about the LinkedIn's and the you know, MySpaces and this sort of thing. Yahoo, of course, we haven't actually seen hit the wild yet, which is a little bit different to the others. But look, with all those, it is hard to imagine how we could see more results next year. I mean, when you think about the large web assets out there, there's not many that are that size. And to think that they may also have been compromised years ago and there's already data sitting out there, look, it is just really hard to say. It is such a strange industry, isn't it? Yeah. And one of the interesting things I think is you see sites such as LinkedIn and Yahoo, which say, okay, yes, we experienced a breach, but we detected something was wrong. And even if we didn't understand the severity or maybe even the breach at that point, we've put a lot of changes in place. For example, using Bcrypt, whereas you saw a lot of really weak non-password hashing, hashing algorithms being used. So do you have any sense of optimism when it comes to security measures that have been put in place in the last few years and the effects that we'll hopefully feel, the trailing tail, if you will, of those effects that we'll hopefully be feeling or seeing in the next few years? Look, I think at the upper end of the market, you know, the likes of LinkedIn and Tumblr and Fling and all these sorts of things, these are very large online assets that do have access to a lot of resources. And I guess we've got to cut them just a little bit of slack in so far as they suffered data breaches four years ago and they're being judged today by today's standards based on practices that they had four years ago. And, you know, the ball has certainly moved along a bit since then. So I guess that's the first thing. I mean, let's just keep in mind the, the, the era at which these incidents happen. The next thing is organizations of those sizes certainly do have many different ways that they can become more resilient to data breaches. You've mentioned the hashing. That's a pretty rudimentary one. A much better network monitoring, egress monitoring. I mean, all of them have obviously missed the fact that large amounts of data went out of their network in ways it shouldn't have. Those organizations have access to that sort of thing. I think the thing that I'm a little bit more worried about is all of those organizations that don't have access to those sorts of resources and are appearing on such a, an amazingly regular basis. And that's everything from small custom-built web applications for smaller organizations through to the prevalence of unmaintained forum software which is out there and continually gets breached. And really anything beneath that sort of large mega site with hundreds of millions of records kind of scale, it's going to be harder for them to justify the spend to protect themselves. In terms of the breaches that we see that involve software that's been installed and then forgotten about or just hasn't been patched, we see other sorts of attacks. For example, there's been the huge wave of IoT device compromises recently. Those have been turned into platforms for launching DDoS attacks in a parallel with the unpatched, unupdated PHP servers we saw a few years ago launching massive scales of attacks. That gets away a little bit from the data breach phenomenon, 
It speaks to the broader issue of the fact that there are so many at-risk things out there, whether they be devices or web servers or, or anything else. It might also speak to the fact that uh, attackers keep adapting their techniques. A symptom of a lack of security in the different yeah, ways. It's, yeah. it's a broad symptom of that. In terms of breaches like Yahoo and LinkedIn, the takeaway that experts have long recommended is do what you can do, which is use a unique password. When possible, use unique security questions. What are some of the bread and butter security practices that you recommend just so people can safeguard themselves? Well, look, that's certainly the most important because think about what we see, particularly with these big data breaches. We're seeing large amounts of credentials disclosed. And the problem we've got at the moment is that those credentials get reused other places. And I think Dropbox is one of the best examples of that in a very meta sort of way because Dropbox claimed back in 2012 that they'd had some data exposed. And in fact, what they said at the time was we were seeing attacks against our Dropbox users based on another data breach and checking credential reuse. And one of those Dropbox users was a Dropbox employee with Dropbox customer data in their Dropbox. <laughs> so this is a sort of the meta component of it. So I think that's actually a really good illustration of the problem we have with password reuse. Now, of course, we can talk about things like password managers as a way of mitigating that. But the problem is, is that it's a high barrier to entry for everyday consumers, at least in terms of you need to do something different now. So that's friction. The other one that we have that's more readily accessible is multi-step verification. But look, I mean, even there we've had issues. We're seeing a lot of um, SIM card hijacking, which has given attackers access to the vector by which one-time passwords are often sent. We've got other alternatives like Authy, which are very, very good. But then you've got to explain it to your non-significant others and relatives. You've got to install this app, and then you do the QR code, and then you have a PIN after you log in. And it's, it's confusing, right? Like, I, I get why there are very, very small adoption rates of multi-step verification. Troy, thanks very much for your time today. Thanks, Matthew. For Information Security Media Group, this is Matthew Schwartz. Thank you for joining us.